You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com hey guys welcome to land and legacy podcast this is your host adam keith we're co-owners of a consulting company called go figure land and legacy this is your number one podcast resource for all things land each week we're breaking down topics from land management habitat management conservation farming practices and real estate we hope you guys enjoy it <laughs> All right, guys, welcome back to uh, Land Lakes Podcast. As you know, uh, Adam here, and uh, we have got Mr. Kyle Hedges back on the line. Kyle, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Yeah, so Kyle uh, and Frank have come on board, Land Legacy Consultants, um, and working with Matt and I as we kind of continue to grow and help more landowners. They're here to bring some diversity a big shocker. Uh, we didn't make it a whole two minutes before we used the uh, diversity word on this podcast, but bringing diversity. And today we're going to talk about something that is uh, a lot of guys are talking about it, especially down south. It's like a religion down there, but there's a lot of people that do it across the country, and that is dove hunting. Kyle, do you care to indulge us in kind of all the work and things you have to do in a year for doves? Yeah, so in uh, you know as a public lands manager, we do a, a fair amount of dove management. It's real popular with the citizens of Missouri. Um, so we spend a fair amount of time getting some fields ready. And of course, that starts in the well, actually last fall with the wheat. We do wheat and sunflowers, but we'll get into all the details a little bit later here. But so it's kind of a year-round process, you know, getting fields ready and different crop types and when we manipulate them and and what we do to have them all ready for september 1st uh, and it brings in quite a few people we'll have our we'll have really big crowds on the public land and and but a lot of harvest and a lot of satisfaction we probably get more hunter satisfaction on the public land um, in missouri into the first two days of that season than we do you know, the entire fall combined for all other hunting seasons. So a lot of wildlife areas. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely think, you know, in Missouri, especially kind of where we're at, it seems like there's there's a couple of a couple of types of hunting where people tend to flock to public ground for. And uh you know, a lot of people deer hunt public ground and I've done it. I know you've done it as well, but um it seems like when it comes to dove hunting and rabbit hunting, it's like we're going to public ground. Um and I don't know, maybe even bobwhite quail on some of those, but it definitely seems like dove hunting, and if you don't believe me, go to some of our uh, southwestern Missouri and southern Missouri conservation areas on the opener of gun season, or of, of dove season, and uh, ask me uh, ask me how many, or I guess tell me how many shots you're going to hear. Um, <laughs> it's going to be nuts. It's going to sound like World War III. Just to, yeah, just... Go ahead. Well, yeah, I think, you know, part of the draw is, you know, some you can find some, some hunts on private land and, and silage fields maybe. The timing's right, but some years, you know, people aren't cutting their silage till later maybe. This would be a perfect example this year. So crops got put in later, so maybe people, farmers haven't cut their silage. So whereas they know on the public land it's predictable. We're going to have stuff opening day every year now you know this year wet spring there was some wildlife areas that didn't get their crops in time but for the most part every year opening day mdc is going to have dove stuff for people so that's that's predictable part of it the second part is just the sheer numbers it's fun two or three guys can go out on a you know, if you got a decent private spot, or if you're lucky, maybe even eight or ten guys and, and hunt a field, but and, and kill some birds. So I'm, I'm not knocking the private land thing, but we're talking about two or three thousand doves coming to, you know, fifty acres, and you just don't get that show <laughs> very many places. So yeah, it's chaotic. There's a lot of people. Um, I mean, it's you know. And that 50 acres, for example, we got multiple places that are 25 to 50 acre units. There may be 100 people, 200 people in some cases, hunting that 50 acres. It's crowded, but just the sheer volume is impressive to see that many doves coming in. And at the end of the day, you know, there's 1,000, 1,500 dead doves. That's unbelievable. It's just hard to see anything like that on private land for the most part in this part in this part of the state. Now, there's commercially some people do it and have guided hunts, you know, down south, but not around here. Yeah, absolutely. I was that was going to be my next question: just how many doves do they harvest in a single day? Um, I, I imagine that line graph's pretty sharp on the amount of doves harvested the first two <laughs> days versus the, towards the end. Oh, yeah. So typically, if, you know, if the fields are done right and really good, good, we retain birds, something crazy doesn't happen, you know, lose a whole bunch crazy, horrible front and lose birds three days before or something. Yeah. We'll kill, you know, we'll kill 1,000 to 1,500 birds the, the first day. And that, so usually it's around a 10 bird average. The limit here in Missouri is 15 doves a person. Um, typically, opening morning, we'll have a 10 bird per hunter average. So pretty much, you know, half the people will kill a limit. 
And then you got some people that'll shoot three boxes of shells and leave with five or six doves. So that tends to bring your average down and you just can't average 14, 15 doves a pair. That just doesn't happen. You're going to have some people that, you know, just aren't as good of shots, but they're run out of ammunition and that limits how many they kill that day. So I think the, We've done some exit surveys, and the best year I ever remember, we thought we were, at least for an opening morning, we were in the 12 bird per hunter average one year, five or six years ago for opening mornings. Oh, wow. That's pretty impressive. But, yeah, basically most people are, if you can shoot, you're shooting your limit. So what what differentiates between a good weather, good conditions for quality uh, dove hunting versus bad? Uh, you mean for the opening couple days or, or yeah just you know a- any point during the season you know regardless of the migration are you you looking for more hot dry weather yeah. or are you looking for more of that cold cooler weather well i think you know my opinion i've seen both over <clears throat> we we attract local birds starting in july um, a lot of birds are produced locally nest locally and then some early migrants start coming down regardless. I've seen summers where August is 100 degrees, and we're picking up new birds every week. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, everybody's looking for fronts, but it's day length, really. These birds know. They can't predict next what's going to happen next week. They don't know if they live in Minnesota what's going to happen next week or two weeks later. They know based on day length and certain doves say, all right, it's just whenever we start having this much hours of darkness, it's time for me to move on. So a lot of it's based on day length. Um, we typically, if you've really got good food, I've rarely seen a, a, you know, a cold front two or three days before season. People worry about, Oh my gosh, you know, we had great numbers. We had two or 3000 doves coming in and the stick cold fronts forecasted. We're kind of staring at that. Right now, you know, we got really mild weather right now. People worry about losing the doves. If you've got really, really good food, for the most part, they're not going anywhere. Um, some of our locals may, that the day length thing may trigger them to move on. But if you're feeding them really well, I don't worry about losing birds a few days before. Gotcha. Um, the only time I've really got burned one year, we had a real early harvest of silage in this part of the state of Missouri. In one of my areas out in western Dade County, um, Sloan Conservation Area, is in a pretty ag-dominated landscape. And man, I mean, thousands of acres of silage got cut like the last week of August. And we didn't lose birds for the county, but we lost birds for that area. They yeah. just dispersed all over the place and it really, you know, hurt us opening day. But that's only happened one time in the 16 years I've been here. Mm. Talk a little bit about um, residential birds versus migratory birds. Yeah, okay. So those are kind of unique. They uh, Most of them nest in trees, maybe, you know, some percent. I don't know. I'm, I'm ballparking here. But maybe 20% nest on the ground. I've seen, a, I've seen some ground nests, so... But they they only raise two young at a time. Um, They raise them old enough to fledge them and then kick them out, and then they they have another nest. So they'll have multiple nests each summer. So the glory of doves is 
you know, where a lot of turkeys, if you have a real wet spring, they have a bad hatch and you're kind of in trouble for that year. But doves, if, if it's a, a bad month or something happens, for one thing, when most of you nest in trees, the, the wet weather isn't that devastating in the first place. But even if they lose a nest, they might have three, four, five nests for the summer. So they'll raise two at a time, two at a time, and they just keep doing that. So they can, you have these multiple different timed hatches all summer. And and that happens here, plus north. It, that's all the doves do that. So we have these resident birds that consider this as far north as they fly, and other birds that fly, you know, way up to Minnesota or the Dakotas or wherever, um, Iowa. So our resident birds, you know, as they hatch, and they spend all summer here, and they, they learn where local food sources are. So those are typically the first birds that we start attracting. We start manipulating our fields in July, actually, on the public land to try to draw in these local birds. And then some early migrants start showing up based on day length, and we we see that. We'll see changes in dove numbers overnight sometimes. And it's those early migrants come in, and they land at known roosts. They imprint just like ducks. So they come down, land at a known roost, and they follow the local birds to breakfast in the morning. And that's how we keep building numbers. So starts out with the local birds, and then it ends up being resident birds. And we've got a lot of banding data that shows that actually by opening day, a lot of our locals have moved on. But they've been our Judas birds to show the migrants where to go eat. And then, of course, a lot of those migrants probably have imprinted on some of our areas because we use the same areas every year. So you have that, too. But our, our banding data shows that the majority of our birds killed are actually migrants, not local birds. So mm. a lot of our local birds have already moved on by September 1. That's interesting. Yep. Huh. That's very cool. I, I there's so many things. My gosh, there's so many nuggets in there that I I'm almost I know I'm going to miss out on questions. But you know, we talked pre-show about the number of clutches uh, a dove's going to have during the summer. How many? When we talk about that, what about so? When is that going to roughly start in the summer or spring? The first clutch. The first nest. Uh, yeah, so doves will start nesting, and we'll have doves nesting. I have some in my yard every year in April here. Mm. They'll have a nest in April and in May and June and July. I mean, it's just this continuous so thing. It, what, 28, 30 days before th- those yeah, young they, are raised? Yeah, they're about three, about three weeks, and they'll fledge out of the nest, and once they fledge, they're on their own. My mom... You know, see you, I got work to do, and she'll go back to having the next lay in a couple eggs. The fortunate part is doesn't take very long to lay a clutch of eggs if you're only laying two. Yeah. So you lay a couple eggs, you sit on them for 20-some days and hatch them and start it all over again. So, wow. Yeah. That, that's that's so cool. I, when uh, So I guess probably, you know, you, they have five nests, or they could have five nests, so the last nest coming in August. Uh, July yeah, or August, right. and then just in time to figure out how to fly and start heading south. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a unique um, cycle that they perform, and hunters see that. You kill some birds that you're like, wow, this is a really young bird, versus others that are nice, mature. Well, some of those aren't 
necessarily adults. They were just the first of the summer hatched birds, you know. So I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot here, because um, I'm gonna ask you a question that you know, as a as a young man in uh, high school, we hunted a lot of doves, and some females in my family were not the most fond of us shooting doves because they said they always mate for life. You want to talk a little bit about that from a biologist standpoint? Yeah, a lot of species they claim mate for life, and that's usually a bunch of hooey. <laughs> <laughs> Just the nature of birds. I mean, birds die, right? They're, yeah, that's right. They're not they're not long lived. Canada geese. They say the same thing about them. But now, birds that get hunted, get shot, or that get predated upon, they're always finding new mates. It's part of the deal. Yeah, we thought. People thought quail, you know, were monogamous for decades, and heck, a quail will breed with multiple males before she even lays her first nest sometimes. That's unbelievable. I wish quail, uh, I definitely wish quail uh, had the same nest capabilities and raising young capabilities (laughs) as a dove. Yeah, I wish they'd, yeah, just nest in a tree. That would be a That would help a whole lot, wouldn't it? Yes. Yeah, but then we'd have a, a, a country filled with trees, and we wouldn't get our grass. <laughs> True. Yeah. True. <laughs> you guys would be advocates for planting trees rather than cutting trees down. <laughs> uh, uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Um, so when it comes to dove management and tying this into to landowners, how does one manage for, manage for a species that's migratory? So there's a benefit, um, I guess, managing for something like doves is where you don't really have to worry about raising them. Um, whereas quail, you know, we have to provide something year-round, or pheasants, or prey chickens, or turkeys, or deer. We just we just got to feed these things. We got to set the table, feed them for the right time of year, so we can have a harvest on the migration south. So that's the glory of it, I guess, in my opinion, is that we only got to focus on a very short window of when they're going to be here and or passing through or using these fields. So it's all about food. It's just, you know, it's almost exclusively food plot management with the exception of, you know, you can have some good harvests at a water hole too. So there's, I guess you could manage even that way if you were in the right part of the country, drier you know, more out west, western Kansas, lots of times small little ponds or um, little old dried up, half dried up windmill spots can be real good. But someone could intentionally manage those for doves as well. Around here, it's it's all about the food. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think of multiple times out west, you know, we were in southwest Nebraska last year, uh, mule deer hunting in early September and Every little water hole had doves flying around it. Um, yep. I, I, I guess my question for you, a lot of times you guys, these conservation areas, hundreds of acres, if not thousands in, some t- uh, in, in a couple of cases, how small of an area can a landowner say, let's say a landowner's got 120 acres and they're like, you know, uh, this property is all about deer. Really, that's what our main our main focus is. But I'd really like to have just a small portion, maybe one little area that my sons and I can go out and hunt. How small do you think of an area that you could plant 
And my next question will be, what do you plant to create an attractive place to go dove hunting? Yeah, I think you can get this done on just a few acres, you know, something as small as two or three acres, no doubt. Um, it, it's gonna, you're going to need to pick the right location on a, on a smaller scale. Yep. Um, I mean, you need to pick the right location no matter what we're doing, whether it's 50 acres or two acres. But certainly more critical in small fields. You're going to want to be higher up on the ridge tops. If you're in any kind of area that has contour, you're not going to want to plant these fields typically down in the bottoms, or I wouldn't. I'd rather be higher higher up on the landscape. Why is that? Um, uh, just it seems, for one, you got most of the crops that we're going to grow uh, are going to prefer to grow uh, or don't like getting their feet wet. So uh, we don't want that, that bottom ground a lot of times. Uh, if we're gotcha. in it, we want sandier type stuff. We don't want that gumbo, sticky clay stuff. So hmm. higher hill ground, but also easier for, for doves to find. They tend to, you know, as they're, as they're migrating down uh, that that higher ridge top stuff's going to be easier to see if they're looking down and looking for a place to stop. Gotcha. Makes sense. So even a one to two acre field could be planted next to the lodge or whatever, preferably higher ground. What are you planting? Well, so, you know, there's a lot of options here. If, if we're all out, if I've got, no holds barred, and I can do whatever I want, even on a small field. Um, I'm going to to want to maximize my production of of sunflowers. Um, that's going to be my highest cost option. But it's like I said, if it's no holds barred, I can do whatever I want. I'm going sunflowers, and I want a clean field underneath. Um, I'm talking spraying them two or three times, whatever I have to do to make sure this is clean field. And I'm going to have, when I mow those sunflowers and get the, the site ready, um, I'm going to do three different mowings. I'm going to plant them early so they're ready early August, and I'm going to mow a little bit of them first week of August, have some food, get some birds coming in, mow a little more of them mid-August, get more so I just got fresh food all the time. And then I'm going to mow the last of them last week of august i don't like just mowing one strip here and there um you know some people probably kill a lot of doves doing that not saying you can't kill doves doing that but i like leaving a strip here and there but mowing 90 percent of the field i want it wide open they don't have to worry about their wing tips hitting something when they're coming in the land and uh, that would be my the ultimate choice now Mm. there's there's lots of other options people have a lot of successful hunts on on private fields um you know hayden millet field if you time it right and you hay it here late and you know this would be the time right now uh you, you can have good hunts i've killed birds on hay lespidy korean lespidies fields that were hayed late in august like this um oats plant plant time your oats planting or buckwheat and then going out and and uh, haying them right here close to opener can provide some really good hunts. But you don't have near the time to build those numbers. So there's a limitation there. You know, hey, it's you and your son or you and two or three buddies, and 
yeah, you can get a couple hundred doves coming into those fields, and that that can be more than plenty to have some decent hunts. Mm. But if you if you want to get into the numbers, you know, thousand doves coming into a field, two thousand doves, you've got to have time to build those numbers, and that's got to start with more manipulation earlier in the season, which means you've got to have the right crop types to be able to do multiple manipulations starting in late July, early August at the latest. Mm, gotcha. That makes sense. Hmm. So uh, when it comes to, you know, dove management, what do you, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the hunters you see. This The thing I, I guess I enjoy, one of the most things I enjoy about doves is the, it's like one of the first, especially here in Missouri, it's like one of the first hunts of the fall. Of course, there's early teal season, but it's kind of like, Dove season is the chance to to get summer is almost kicked and we're getting into fall or getting close to fall and dove season is here and deer season is just right around the corner but dove's the first opportunity to get out and enjoy it. Whenever you look at uh, the amount of people coming to these conservation areas um, and I'm just using conservation areas because that's where a, a large crowd of people are. Do you see typically is this a is this a something for the very serious hunter that's a one solo or these groups of people with kids or groups of people with, uh, uh, wives, girlfriends, other people joining. All of the above. We will have people showing up buddies, you know, there's six or eight in a group and they're hunting three or four clustered here and their buddies going down 50 yards from them and, and set up. We see husbands and wives. We see people bringing kids. We see all of it. Awesome. Um, it's a great family activity because there's a lot of targets flying. Yeah. You know, it's kind of the, it is the harbinger of fall. It's the first season, like you said, so that gets people excited. But, uh, you know, there's there's a fair amount of people that dove hunt that don't quail hunt. Maybe you're a duck hunter. You know, maybe you're some type of wing shooter, whether you're an upland bird hunter, a duck hunter, maybe neither. I know people that are, deer and turkey hunters but they dove hunt one or two days a year you know it's just that it's simple doesn't take a lot of gear you buy a box a couple boxes of shells a camouflage shirt and grandpa's old shotgun and you can go dove hunt it just doesn't take all the fancy equipment you don't have to have a dog you don't have to have all this extra stuff you can but you don't have to so it's a, a real good family activity and it's a good opener into the fall and, and lots of if you're in the right place a lot of shooting activity which makes it a lot of fun a lot of heckling your buddies when they miss <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the way doves fly the national average last i saw was seven shells per dove killed oh Missourians, man yeah missourians happen to be a little more savvy at this game and we average this was several years ago we had a survey out but Missourians average five shells per dove killed, so we're a little better than the national average. Wow, that's that went seven seven shells per dove. That's that's pretty good for the Pittman Robertson Act. Um, that's and, pretty good for the ammunition company. That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right for sure. Uh, speaking of that, uh, the Act, uh, the Pittman Robertson Act. I had to use that on mm -hmm. uh, somebody just today. Uh, you know, we've been, uh, oh, I've been sharing some videos of you. Uh, you know, I shared one this, this weekend. Um, 
of you out with your dog um, getting it ready for mm-hmm. quail season and uh, had a lady chime in on a on a review for Land Legacy, and she said bobwhite quail are approaching the endangered species status, and this page is promoting responsible hunting of same. Does yep. not, doesn't recommend Land Legacy, Land Legacy, she says, <laughs> because of that reason. I was like, endangered, oh. wow, we've uh. already skipped species of concern. Um, uh. yeah, yeah, so that, yeah. that cracked me up, so I had to use the Pittman-Robertson Act to kind of... <laughs> You know, put that one out there. Like, I don't know if you realize what all we do um, do for the bobwhite quail. So, anyway, that's that's always funny. You're always going to get that. So, but going back to uh, as a landowner, and they're like, you know, I just bought this farm. I don't see a lot of doves, and uh, I didn't see many doves here this last fall. Uh, I want to make sure I change that this year. What would be the steps to take to to start that process of having an annual or a traditional dove hunt in early September? Yeah, you know they're going to need to select a a specific field. They're going to have to dedicate a field or two or three. This is my dove management area, my opinion. Um, the best way to do that is be consistent where you're doing that. That's why I say you're dedicating the same field two or three. You don't want doves having to chase this around and, you know, let's say you got a big farm. Maybe you got a thousand acres. You don't want to do it down in the southwest corner one year and the northeast corner the next year and the northwest corner the year after that. These these doves, the ones that survive, they'll imprint just like waterfowl do. And they'll remember a good food source and they'll remember known roosts on their route. So when they come back and land at known roosts around your farm, and fly out in the morning with the local doves to eat. They'll remember that next year, and they'll come looking for that same food source. So we want to be consistent in where we put those fields. Um, like I said, I like stuff up on on higher ground if if possible. Uh, the more open landscape, the better. Some sometimes that's not going to work. A person may have a farm that's ninety five percent timber, and that's okay. Can happen. They may not be able to draw near as many doves as someone that is, you know, has 50% of their property in open land. That's just the, that's just part of the deal. But uh, yeah, and it, it, even better if there's a water source around in Missouri. That's not an issue. I mean, there's a farm pond every quarter section, if not more than that. Yeah, um, and it, it, and there's a creek or a, a river somewhere. But in a lot of states. The water source could be an important factor, too. It needs to be within a reasonable flight distance, you know, from these fields. Because lots of times after they feed, they're going to go hit water, and then they're going to go to roots. Gotcha. What about, um, now I know in past podcasts, it might have been you or Frank that mentioned about perch trees. You know, when we were growing up hunting doves, golly, those dead big trees were like the key spotting point. Are there any doves around? I don't know. Put your binoculars over there on that dead tree. Do you see any sitting up there? Nope. Okay. Well, they're they're around here somewhere, hopefully, or they're going to be here soon because at some point you'll see a lot of doves sitting up there. Do you guys, you probably don't on conservation areas, but do you see any benefit? And I'm asking this because we get asked this question a lot. Do you see any benefit in running 
miniature telephone poles or telephone lines in these areas to provide these kind of rest spots? Uh, we don't have to here, but I, I, the reason why I do exactly what you're alluding to, I do it with basal bark treatment. So I have actually gone around some of our dove fields in the past and basal bark treated a handful of trees around each dove field um, just so that I've got some dead, great big dead trees around there as, as loafing trees. Um, but Certainly, out west, the further west you go, where trees are a little more limited, the, the telephone pole thing is, does work and has been utilized. It's also a way to manipulate more specifically. You're going to get doves coming into your field. But it's more specifically to get doves to an exact spot, you know, so a hunter can set up more strategically. So you got uh, if you and your son are hunting a three-acre field, well, that's three football fields. That's pretty big. You still can't shoot that whole thing. But if you strategically kill a couple, three trees and have these big dead trees that you know the doves want to come loaf on, now all of a sudden, doesn't matter where they're eating, a quarter of those doves come to light in those the dead tree, and that's where you're set up. So it really lends itself well to just making your hunt a little more strategic in my opinion. Perfect. Yep. I, I think of, uh, back in the day when we were in high school, we found a field that had been overgrazed and I, I can't remember what they did, but it created this like perfect scenario where there was a lot of bare ground, but a lot of ragweed, taller ragweed growing. Um, yep. and man, there was doves pouring in there and we had found this big brush pile that had one big dead snag sticking up out of it that they were just lighting on like crazy. So we just sat in that brush pile and shot them as they were trying to come in. And as we were doing that, uh, finally one of my buddies, uh, like we had shot and we were kind of sitting around and here comes this one lone dove and he goes, let it land, let it land. We're like, okay, he's surely not going to shoot it when it lands. That thing lit on that tree and he pulled up boom completely missed it man we laugh and still to this day i we give him a hard time if we're think if we if we see him it's like remember remember how awesome of a dove shot you are <laughs> <laughs> so you know I, I think that's one of the big things i love about dove hunting and why yeah you know with a lot of our clients um i'd say over 50 percent have mentioned you know wanting to have a dove field um to plant and so there's a lot of interest in it. It's not something that's on the forefront yep. of everybody's mindset, but there's a lot of people that do it. And I know there'd be a lot more people that do it if there was a an actual area or population to hunt or a migration pattern to where they're coming by their farm and, and, and spending some days on their farm where I think everybody would be like, you know what, that's, that is a lot of fun. And so, you know, if you're one of those guys, landowner, you're listening to this podcast, Kyle right here is telling you, um, exactly kind of the steps to, to start that start that process to where you and the, the kids or you and the whole family can can enjoy some time before deer season gets here on the, on the farm. Uh, Kyle, does your wife hunt? No, she doesn't. Likes to fish, but never has hunted. No, that's probably, you know, probably that's, change that. That's kind of like that's kind of like mine. Mine likes to fish, even though I don't get around to taking her. I haven't fished a whole lot. Uh, in the last probably three years, but likes to fish. But I always kind of suspect if, and and she's not really ever tried hunting a whole lot. Um, 
life's been too busy for her with uh, masters and things, yep. but um, she, I've always been like, I'm not going to really waste my time on trying to get her into deer hunting because I'll try, but I don't think she's going to like it. She likes more of the action packed. So I feel like doves or yep. quail would be something or even duck hunting that would get her, get her, uh, in the outdoors more. So I was just curious. Yeah. What, what I, about, I've taken all my daughters of, I've gone dove hunting with me over the years, you know, at some point it is a good Good family sport. You've got three daughters, right? Yep, correct. What, what was their favorite outdoor activity? The the kids? Yeah. <clears throat> Out of all the different things uh, you've taken them on, what was the thing that they liked best? Well, they're all probably different. The oldest one is deer hunting by far. Um, that's her favorite. She got to where she despised turkey hunting just out of frustration <laughs> you and i have both had those days too where you just weren't about to give up yep you get fooled by a bird with a brain the size of a pea a half a dozen times and um yeah one of them's deer hunting um one of them's turkey hunting my youngest diehard turkey hunters that's just because she's been lucky and we've had some really good hunts all growing up and so it hasn't been as frustrating for her uh, my middle ones probably prefers going trapping with me, actually. Oh, very she cool. likes turkey and deer hunting, but, yeah, she loves checking traps and setting traps. So quite gotcha. a variety. Gotcha. So out of all this dove hunting, let's give a little bit. And we haven't talked about this. I don't know if we've ever talked about this on a podcast, but what's your favorite way to cook doves? After a successful hunt, you've managed for them, how do you prepare them? Well, you typically make poppers out of them. I'll fillet the both sides of the breast off, put a slice of jalapeno out of my garden. I always grow a garden every year and, and a slice of jalapeno between the breasts. Sometimes cream cheese, sometimes not. Just depends. Wrap them in bacon. Um, typically, let me back up. Lots of times I'll soak the breasts in some type of marinade, uh, Worcestershire or Italian dressing, something. Um, but put that slice of jalapeno in there, wrap them in bacon and grill them. You don't want to grill them well done. They get a little livery taste. You know, they're dark meat. So that medium to medium rare is the best way to cook doves for sure. But, I mean, they taste like steak doing it like that. Oh, man, that sounds yeah. good. I think uh, that that's that's the recipe that we've always cooked them that way. So um, definitely I, I would imagine that might be the most popular way that people have cooked doves. So Yeah. Anyway, um, I know we, we're keeping it short this week. Matt and I are both, you know, he's split up. He's doing another podcast uh, this week, so go check that one out. Um, and, Kyle, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I want to mention something else we didn't really talk about. You know, there's a kind of another strategy that most people don't do, but the, the typical set the table and sit on a bucket and have doves flying in is, is 98% of the way does get harvested, right? And But, man, there's a great opportunity. If, if you manipulate your crops right and, and want to leave a little more of that stuff out there and not mow the entire field, you can walk doves up. Uh, walk them up and shoot them as they flush. You can even, it can be some really good early season bird dog training. Um, it's not something where you're going to have 10 guys out there doing it, but if it's something where you just hunt alone a lot or you and your kid or you and a buddy, um, well, I've had a lot of fun doing that where you can leave a little more. And maybe some of those mixed crops, uh, you know, Stratton's got a, a dove mix 
it would be good if you manipulate it and mowed it, uh, but would also be good if you if you left the majority of that in the field and just walked doves up out of it. Mm. That would be a fun a fun way to have kind of an early season workout for the bird dog and kill some doves while you're at it. So if you only had one day, one afternoon to hunt, which way would you rather rather hunt, chase doves? Oh, I like the pass shooting. I got to go with the. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to admit, I do a lot of flushing bird shooting the rest of the winter, right? Yeah. Quail and pheasants and grouse and everything else. So um, the sitting on a bucket pass shooting is, I'd have to go with that personally. There you go. Awesome. Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, people will, uh, will get out there and start trying to manipulate and, and manage for some doves. I, I, man, we, we talk so much in our consulting about diversifying and trying to find other ways to enjoy the farm to where you're not just stuck into enjoying it for a couple months during deer season, but find ways to make it enjoyable for the whole family and going into these other activities. And, and I think dove hunting and dove management is an awesome way to do it. And I mean, you said your favorite thing to do was plant sunflowers. My goodness, how many women out there like seeing wildflowers so they plant gardens and it's just like you know sunflowers are a great way to they're not only going to be very aesthetically pleasing but they're going to be phenomenal attraction to doves later on in the in the uh late summer oh absolutely on the public land we actually get people coming out in june taking pictures taking i've seen people out there taking senior pictures with their daughter in our sunflower fields because <laughs> they're so pretty and vibrant you know in the, in the summertime that's awesome well, man, appreciate you coming on, and uh, you guys, once again, thanks for joining us. It means a lot to us that you guys are here every single week, and uh, we don't take it for granted, but it definitely, shoot, we're launching this on late, the next time, I guess when you guys, the next podcast, I think there's only one or two podcasts left, and we'll be right in the heat of Missouri archery season. It's unbelievable, isn't it, Kyle? Yes, it's comes way too fast fast in life that's right for sure well thanks for coming on once again appreciate it guys if you're interested in having kyle out to your place or frank or myself or matt shoot us an email at info at landedlegacy.tv and uh i guess that wraps it up kyle once again thanks and uh we'll see you guys next time yeah